0: Hey everyone, welcome to Healthy Mind, Happy Life Podcast. I am your host, Caitlin Engler. I believe that we can all move through life transitions without losing who we are, but it takes the right support, community, and connection to carry us through. We can heal through sharing experience, strength, and hope. Each week, we will have genuine and real conversations that will inspire you to shift your mindset to live a happier, free life. Hey everyone, welcome back to Healthy Mind, Happy Life. Today, I am joined by Erica Strom, and we are going to have a little chat about attachment styles. So, if this isn't a concept that you're familiar with, or maybe you've heard of but you're not really sure what it is, Erica does a great job at breaking down the four different attachment styles to give you a little insight into what each one looks like is a relationship coach. She has her bachelor's in psychology and earned her master's degree in depth psychology. She is also a certified 500-hour yoga teacher and a certified personal trainer. She really got into this work after doing a lot of internal processing and she touches on her own story and what led her to doing this work with other people. She's recognized how Her own attachment styles were impacting her romantic relationships, and we dive into how these four attachment styles are formed based on our environment, our relationships, and trauma throughout our life. The nervous system remembers these experiences, which translates into our life now. Erica emphasizes how these patterns can be altered and changed so you can live a freer life that doesn't feel so bogged down by childhood trauma. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation as much as I did. And even though I've been doing this work for a long time, I also learned a lot through speaking with her. So I hope you guys enjoy the show today. Okay, well, hello, Erica. Thank you so much for coming on today's show. I just, I really appreciate it. And I think what you do for a living, which I'll have you touch on in a second, what you do for a living is so important for people to understand, especially since that's what we do, right? We have relationships. And it's really important for us to understand our attachment um, and understand ourselves in a relationship. Yeah. So I um why don't we just take a few minutes and share a little bit about who you are as a human and what it is that you do? Cool. Thank
1: you so much for having me. Um, my work is really I started working with women with anxiety. That was kind of the the direct pathway that got me into this field. Um, No surprise that that was much of my own story, like my own struggle with anxiety and what that meant. And over the years, it's really evolved into trauma work and into relationship work, um, specifically looking at attachment. So I work mostly with women, but I also do work with men um, around insecure attachment patterns. And this concept of dangerous love, which is really just these unhealthy relational dynamics that continue to reiterate these blueprints that we learned in childhood. So, so much of it for me is nervous system work, learning about shame and releasing shame, resolving the different traumas we had so that we can experience intimacy. Because I think that's what we really want in life, in our relationships with ourselves, is this experience of intimacy.
0: Yeah. Oh that is that is hard work. And it's deep, right? Because it goes back to our childhood, like you said. And so that's many, many years of having to look at that and then retrain our nervous systems to operate in a new way.
1: Yeah, it's it is a journey. And I think we're always on the journey. I know I'm still somewhere in that journey. There's no kind of finish line. But I think when we recognize the thing that we really want is emotional intimacy it clarifies that healing pathway a lot more at least that's my belief system and what I've seen in in my work
0: yeah when you can envision it and then you know it's there and it's just how you know I'm sure everyone that comes to you is okay well then what are the steps do I take to get there
1: yeah absolutely Um, go uh, ahead <laughs> I was just going to say that looking at that and that question it does come up a lot and to me what what it really means is starting with safety. How do we create safety for ourselves in our bodies and then how do we create that in a relationship dynamic?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I am curious just a quick little synopsis. What are what is your path? Like what led you to doing this work?
1: Um I think the the short version of kind of my my story or what I'll share here is I had a significant loss in my 20s. My father passed away. And up until that point, I was pretty numbed out, unknowing to me. I had no idea. Um, and when that happened, it just, there was such a rupture and such a loss that all of this anxiety and the chaos and the traumas that I experienced as a kid really came to the surface. And my the way I related to people and especially in intimate partnerships really changed after that loss. There became um, just a lot of relationships that lacked emotional connection and depth. I became really unavailable myself and really afraid um, of loss again, of abandonment again. So that was kind of the pivotal, substantial, <clears throat> traumatic moment in my life that kind of also served as an awakening in a sense. And I think it took me a lot of years to be able to identify that and to also start the journey of actually grieving that loss so that I could feel safe again and not be so afraid of loss and hurt uh, repeating.
0: Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know that you've done work on yourself, which is why you're on this path now it's still, even when you've done work and you continue to heal, it's still difficult to be vulnerable and share those pieces about, about yourself and about ourselves. So I appreciate you doing that. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) So why don't you tell us a little bit more about attachment styles in, I mean, I'm familiar with them because I'm a social worker. And so, you know, it's something that I've touched on with clients, but it's not my niche. So you know i think that it's really really important for people to understand what that concept is and then um you know what does it mean mm-hmm.
1: yeah i think you know you can understand attachment styles in a very simplistic way and i think be able to kind of identify where you see yourself and i like to start with attachment styles by saying none of it is a life sentence none of it is black and white And we can change or heal and grow to a more secure place. But I look at it mostly between insecure and secure attachment. And the difference between the two is really safety and danger. Can you create safety in yourself? Can you create that in relationships? Or is there a lot of fear and survival energy in your body? And are relationships really fear-based? So that like emotional bonding process we have with another person, it's either infused with safety or it's infused with danger. And that changes our nervous system and our attachment system. Um, as I'm sure you know, but it, it really begins in childhood with our relationship to our primary attachment figures, which are mostly our parents. And based on that relationship and also the relationship our parents have together, we absorb that and we often replay out those dynamics in our adult relationships. And Mm -hmm. if we want to break down kind of the four classical ones, we're looking at anxious, avoidant, disorganized, and secure. And when I look at anxious, the way that I describe it is it's a lack of self-containment, meaning all of your energy is always spilling out. There's always like an outward Focus, there's always a reaching for something outside of yourself. Usually, um, the person has a hard time emotionally re- regulating and kind of staying within themselves, um, staying embodied and connected with themselves. So, there's a clinging, a needing, a dependency on another source, another person. And then, when we look at avoidant, kind of the opposite side of that, where that person is usually really contained, like overly contained. So they're not spilling out, they don't share anything, there's no openness. A lot of times there's um, like a lack of emotional expression, doesn't necessarily mean that's what they're feeling internally, but that's how they display. So there's more of this unavailability, they're a little bit more unreachable. And then when we look at disorganized, it's really the mixture between the two, the fluctuating between the two or the two happening simultaneously. So I think of disorganized attachment as anxious attachment that's been really repressed. So there's that much anxiety and movement internally, but none of it is being expressed externally because there's so much fear. And I think it's important to name with these three insecure attachment styles, kind of the wounding that's created them. So when I look at anxious attachment, it's really about abandonment and loss and fear of loss, which I can heavily uh, resonate with and relate to. And when I look at avoidance, it's really this fear of rejection, this wounding of rejection. And when I look at disorganized attachment, it's more about a betrayal wound. So there's um, this fear and love gets really blended in that. So those are kind of the three woundings, patterns, and how they manifest. And the fourth one is secure attachment. And that's really just this ability to be yourself, to pour from a full cup. There's not a dependency on others in the same way you're able to meet a lot of your emotional needs. I think about it as being really assertive, really direct, really open, and a lot of access to vulnerability and emotional availability. And so that's where we really experience intimacy when we're in secure, loving partnerships.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing all that. I know my brain is like, firing off so many different thoughts right now. And I think one of the things that kept coming to my mind is what I often hear from people, which is, I'm having this problem in my relationship, or I'm being vulnerable in trying to share something with my partner, but I feel like they're, um, they're not meeting my needs, or they can't hear me, or, and they get into those toxic relationship patterns. So how, how does someone navigate situations like that, once they have this understanding how do they navigate that when they're with someone that is triggering and creating that dangerous feeling in within them? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I think that's the, the crux of all of this work is like navigating those spaces. Um, I find that what kind of we're describing here is more like that anxious avoidant dance that's magnetized to one another, um, And the anxious person presents really emotionally available because there's so much emotional expression. But I find actually the anxious person is not actually emotionally available. That they're not available to parts of themselves. They're outsourcing everything because they're not able to witness and be with parts of themselves. So it's really easy to look at it as like my partner is not available. But if you are staying in a dynamic with someone who is unavailable, you also are unavailable, because there's a dishonesty happening within you about what you want, what you need, what your boundaries are, what your limits are, what you tolerate. So I think so much of it comes back to self and asking like, where am I not available?
0: Hmm, that's so interesting, because I I often do hear that in in partnerships, and and this is also I don't work with a lot of couples. I, I attempt to, but sometimes one person is more resistant. I don't always like that word, but they're more hesitant to come in and and meet and engage in the conversation. But a lot of times what I see is what you just kind of explained. One person is really emotional, emotionally quote available, and they're wanting their other partner to be. But that partner is saying, well, this is who I am. And, And then this person over here is saying, well, you know, they essentially don't have a high emotional intelligence, a high EQ. And so then there's this back and forth. And, and what I see is it causes this disconnection and the, and the couple starts growing apart. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. I think the, I mean, both partners have a lot of work to do in that dynamic, right? One person needs to learn how to step back a bit and one person needs to learn how to step in. And it's really a matter of like how committed are each, is each person to their own healing and their own evolution to become more secure within themselves and feel safer within themselves. And then how committed are they to each other? So I think there's two layers to that. And um, if we don't have the commitment to self and the commitment to relationship, then we're not going to be able to create that intimacy or that safety or that place where we can just rest and be ourself and it's going to always be this chase and this avoid or this push and this pull this hot and this cold dynamic
0: yeah so what you're saying is that it is possible to heal in the relationship because it's not always necessarily the partner that is triggering the situation or triggering you it's with asking yourself like what is it about this situation or what is it about me that's making it difficult for, for this relationship to, um, you know, move forward or move past this?
1: Yeah, there's definitely a level of self-responsibility that has to play into it. And I think we have to know ourselves well enough to know, am I someone that takes all the responsibility always and makes it about me because I have a lot of shame and therefore I think it's all my fault? I think that's something we have to be aware of. And then we have to be aware of the part when we think it's all the other person's fault, and we're blaming and taking no accountability and kind of where do we land on that spectrum? I know for me, for a while, it was much more, it's him.
0: <laughs> it is absolutely. Yeah, him. that's so interesting because I really do see, and even in my own personal life, right? I see or feel myself doing one or the other.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's like really hard to stand in the middle of those two. But I think that's where we have to feel into like our own fears, um, our own needs, our own shame, and like alchemize a lot of those and be able to stand in our truth and in our worth. Because that's the in-between between taking all the responsibility and outsourcing all of it. We have to be able to bet- stand between those two and say, No, this is my reality. This is what I need and want. This is also what I need to work on. Will you meet me there?
0: How do these insecure attachment styles impact relationships?
1: I think the more unsafe a relationship is, the more we lose ourselves in it. We become more fixated on that relationship we become, um, we ruminate more on it. We're more dysregulated in our nervous system. We kind of lose our focus on maybe some of our goals or our work, our own self-growth. And I think when the relationship is so dysfunctional, it becomes kind of the focal point of our life. And so it kind of throws everything else off. It has such a high intensity to it, such a high charge. That I think it impacts us all the way from our career to our health, to our sleep, to our other relationships. So I think it's so important who we choose to have relationships with, whether it's intimate partners or friends, because the quality of that, the security of that really either increases and adds value to our life or it completely detracts from it and derails us in every other area of life.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And would you mind sharing? So I've done episodes on the nervous system, but would you mind touching on that just a little bit about how the nervous system plays a role in all of this? Yeah. Um. So when
1: I look at the nervous system, I look at the different states of our nervous system. So we have three primary survival states of fight, flight, freeze. And then we also have like our safe and social secure state, which is more that like rest and digest feeling. When we're in a very dysfunctional relationship, we're going to be in a survival state in our nervous system. So that means we're either going to be in fight mode. We're going to flee, run away from situations, or we're going to completely shut down. And I think it's most important to know this about your nervous system, because we all have a defensive pattern or protective pattern we go to when we're in a survival state. So for me, I can use myself as an example. Um, when I have been in dynamics that have not felt safe, I my tendency would be to go more into freeze and I would shut down and withdraw. Whereas someone else, when they're kind of overwhelmed or dysregulated, they might go into like a highly um, confrontational place or someone who um, goes into flight mode, runs away, avoids, never has the hard conversation, leaves before they even have an ending Um, so i think it's important to understand our defensive structures because those aren't actually protecting us they're just creating more distance and more charge and more dysfunction so learning about our nervous system also helps us learn about our defenses and those are what we need to dismantle to be able to have a secure uh, relationship
0: yeah and i love that you keep using the word charge because to me, that symbolizes a reaction in our body, right? That's what a charge is. And you were saying how we often will fixate on the problems in a relationship or it will consume us, right? And that's in our in our head, in our thoughts. What we often miss is the reaction in our body, the charge, as you say, that is happening in our body. And we don't tune into that. And that's when it starts manifesting in other ways in, um, you know, health, physical health. People start having typically ICGI issues with a lot of people, but other people, migraines, headaches, neck pain, back pain, different parts of their body start knocking at their door. Right. I think Brene Brown is, has mentioned that before. Like if you aren't paying attention to your body, it will shut you down. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and so we stockpile all of this in our body because we're not we're not noticing it because we're so consumed on the external situation.
1: Yeah, totally. We we became become attuned to the other person and lose attunement to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And when we lose that, we're not in our body. We have no idea what's going on in our body. We're already outside of it and focused completely outside of ourselves.
0: Why do you think that's so difficult for us to tune into our body and why that can feel so threatening?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of us learned early in life that our emotions weren't safe. And therefore, you know, underneath an emotion is a sensation in our body. So the more we turn away from our emotions, we also turn away from our body. Because somewhere down the line, someone said we were too much. Emotions aren't good. Don't cry. Your emotions aren't welcome here. You were shamed for your emotions. So I think it all comes back really to our relationship with our emotions. Can Mm -hmm. we empathize with our own emotions? Can we validate our own emotions? Can we sit with the sensations that are so uncomfortable in our body? Or do we immediately leave our body? But I think it all comes down to childhood and what we learned and absorbed in our first environment and first relationship
0: shifts. And I know that this is not really what we're talking about today. So this is a little bit, I'm going to digress a little bit. But when you were sharing that, it made me think I've been on both sides. I've been a child, obviously grew up with parents, but now I am a parent. Mm -hmm. And so I see both sides of it. And it's really difficult being a parent because you, you know, as I've talked to many parents and including myself, we catch ourselves saying certain things like what you just said you know, and, and it's so hard to catch yourself and not say that or not react that way. And sometimes you slip up because you're also trying to manage your own nervous system, right? You have two or three kids crying, screaming, throwing fits. And so you're trying to hold space for them and trying to hold space for yourself. And that is such a dance. And it's so it's so difficult to, I think that is one of the most challenging parts of parenting is trying to, um, ground yourself and manage and regulate your own nervous system, but also trying to regulate other nervous systems.
1: Yeah. It's incredibly challenging work and I don't think parents ever get it right. I don't think you're supposed to get it right every time or, or be perfect. I think the difference that really separates. Um, children who kind of exit childhood with a lot of trauma and children who exit it with more resilience and inner safety and security is not the kids that have never had their parents mess up, but the ones that have had repair mm-hmm. that have really witnessed and experienced that repair. Cause there's always going to be rupture. We're always going to mess up, but coming back to repair that and modeling that and bringing back that safety after a rupture, like I shouldn't have said that. I'm really
0: sorry. You
1: know, I think that changes everything for a child.
0: Yeah. And I agree. And that's usually what I try to do as a parent and what I tell other people to do. It's not always about avoiding the reaction. Yes. You try to do that. Um, But sometimes in the midst of doing that, you become a pressure cooker and you end up exploding, trying to contain yourself. Right. And so so then the, the lid blows off and now there's more repair work to do. Um, but if that happens, you know, having those tough conversations and being vulnerable, even with little kids and just saying, you know, I made a mistake or uh, I was having a very strong reaction and I was explaining to them why you reacted that way, but also not making that reaction, explaining to them that that reaction was not Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's how we like mitigate shame Mm
0: because the only
1: lens most children have to interpret these ruptures is shame. Like it must be my fault. I did something bad. I'm bad, I'm wrong. so I think the more repair we can offer, that's what we're really mitigating is Mm -hmm. shame here.
0: Yeah, I'm glad we touched on that because I know a lot of parents struggle with that. And then you have the guilt and all that fun stuff that comes along with it. So thank yeah. you for touching on that.
1: Yeah, um, I think kid, if we look at kids, though, also in our partnerships, it's like our inner children are what are actually struggling, right? And so I think your inner child is what gets activated with your actual children. But that also happens in partnership. And half the time, it's two inner children trying to live in adult bodies. And it's it's a mess when one of us can't come back to our adult self.
0: Yeah, well, and I was thinking something similar where we we haven't fully healed or worked on our attachment styles, you know, as adults, and then we're trying to uh, guide our children when we haven't even fully done the work on ourselves yet. Yeah, it's, it's
1: I, I don't know how parents do it. <laughs> to be honest, I look at my own parents and, you know, now as an adult and now having done a lot of work. Um, there's so much more space for empathy and understanding. Um, not that it diminishes, you know, some of the big mess ups or this and that, but having the adult perspective versus what a child's perspective is, you really kind of have a wider range of how you hold things. Mm-hmm. You have a wider wider lens of understanding it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh. So is it possible to change patterns that have been ingrained for 30, 40, 50 years? Where where does someone even begin? I can imagine that feels really overwhelming.
1: Yeah, I think it is really overwhelming. But I think it's also really overwhelming to keep repeating the same patterns or having the same type of relationships or being in the same relationship that is just stuck. So at some point we have to wake up to that repetitiveness or that pain or that hurt or that dissatisfaction and make a choice that we're going to look at ourselves and look at our stuff. And sometimes you have to get to that almost rock bottom point, or I will not have one more heartbreak in this way. I will not be with the same person in different clothes one more time. Like you really have to get to a point where you're just ready to be so honest with yourself we're the common denominator in all of these different circumstances in our life so we have to get tired of our own stuff often to be willing to look at it
0: yeah there's this saying and you may be familiar with it i can't remember where i heard it which is terrible but it's it was uh to do with something to do with trauma and, and the author said we aren't responsible for what happened to us, but we are responsible for our recovery, or we're responsible to heal. It was something along those lines, but that's always stuck with me.
1: Yeah, I I don't think there's really a lot of truer words ever spoken, um, and it's kind of nuanced to hold like this wasn't my fault, but I still do have to heal it. It's still up to me to kind of get out of almost like victimhood to heal it, that these things continue to happen to me or are they happening for me so that I can create a change?
0: I think the biggest thing is letting go of anger and recognizing, because a lot of people feel like if I let go of this, then it makes what happened to me okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what people hold on to. And and it that's where I find a lot of people get stuck in that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I look at, I look at trauma and the core of it is really fear, rage and helplessness. And those are the things we have to really move through or bring to the surface, um, to heal. And I think so much of that is moving through grief and grief is kind of my experience of grief. It's just so cataclysmic and so big and uh, out of control that it's, it's really terrifying to allow yourself to like fully go into grief. But I think that's what actually moves the needle forward and creates more space in our bodies, more release to move forward.
0: Yeah. And I agree. And I've, I've shared it on this uh, podcast before, but I had a traumatic event around a birth last year. And so I've been doing work on that and I find that I get stuck in that place too. And, and I, you said this in the beginning, you know, even exploring attachment styles and trauma, it's a journey. There's never really a destination or a a point where you stop and say, okay, I'm fully healed. Right. It's it, the pain becomes lesser. It becomes a little easier to navigate and manage But you will fluctuate between anger and rage and and pain and I'm okay. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I think at the core of healing, regardless of there being like a finish line, that you just return to a sense of I am okay and I am enough. And I don't think until we can sit in both of those that we really come back to life after whatever trauma it is that we've experienced. I think if we're stuck in either one of those places, we haven't really arrived to the other side. And it's not so much that I'm finished, I'm healed, I'm this, but I do believe there is an oth- another side to trauma that we can move through it and land somewhere else and orient to our life differently and orient to ourselves differently and have quality relationships that really add value.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So do you have any other, anything else that you'd want to share that you find important for people to know about attachment styles Mm. and starting this process (laughs) if they're interested?
1: (laughs) I think it's so important to remember we have agency and we have choice and that we really aren't stuck anywhere. I think a lot of times we feel helpless because certain patterns keep repeating and they're really painful. Um, I can't remember how this quote goes, but one of the quotes that I love is like the cave that you haven't been willing to go into is like where all the answers are, almost like what is on the other side of fear. Um I think people struggle to choose like the unfamiliar or the unknown and continue to choose the familiar, even if it means pain. So I think really just building that um, resilience to look at what it might be like to choose the unknown because everything is possible in that space, but it's not possible in the familiar. So to me, it just, it comes back to choice. We always have choice.
0: Yeah. I like to tell people um, trial and error, right? or just try it out. Just try it out. See how it goes. yeah, right? and and that's kind of the choice piece that you're talking about. It's you can stay in this place and things will continue to progress the way they are, or try something different and just see how it goes. see if it's different. see if anything changes.
1: Yeah, definitely. um I think too, just looking at the barometer of how willing am I to get hurt and how open or available am I to get hurt? How open am I, how vulnerable am I, right? Cause that's about like my availability to being wounded, my acceptance that I do have wounds. I think if we can ask ourselves that like, how available am I to take a risk on getting hurt? That helps us gauge how emotionally available we are and how ready, Or willing we are to actually step into a secure uh, relationship and if our answer is nope i am not willing then we're going to stay in our defensive guarded protective patterns and keep replaying the same thing over and over so until we can get to a place where i believe i'm okay i believe i'm enough and i'm willing and available to get hurt because i'm also available for joy and love and intimacy Then that's when we've really kind of come back to life after whatever event we've
0: experienced. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not relying on our partners and other people to make us happy, to make us feel secure, to make us fill in the blank, because one, expectations always end in resentment. And Mm -hmm. if you are always waiting for somebody else, then that change will never happen. Mm hmm.
1: Yeah, totally. And I think for anyone who's like on this journey of wanting to go from insecure attachment patterns to more secure relationships, I think it's really helpful to sit down and to journal about what is it that I want and need in someone, not aesthetic based things, but literally what would make my nervous system feel good and safe? What are those things? what are my non-negotiables and what are my absolute deal breakers? And when we have all that information in front of us and we honor it, that's when we start to really step into new relationships.
0: I love that exercise. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, my pleasure. I think that's a great way to start. Yeah. So anyone that is wanting to begin this process or thinking about and looking at their relationships and saying, you know, hey, I I've been in these toxic relationship patterns or, and I I want to, I want something to change. Where could they find you? Where could they begin? um, If you have any workshops or, or one-on-one coaching sessions that they could find you, how could they do that?
1: Yeah, the best, the best place to find me is either on my website, which is anxiousfemale.com or on Instagram at underscore anxiousfemale. And I do offer one-to-one coaching or mentorship um, containers, and I will in January, February time be opening up um, another group uh, program and group coaching experience that will be really focused on shame, healing shame, and learning how to source yourself as opposed to outsourcing. So those will be my two
0: um, two possibilities to
1: work with me in the coming year.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for coming on today. I appreciate you sharing all your wisdom, knowledge, and experience with us.